Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. We are Groundworks, Inc. I'm Alice Marcus Krieg. Hi, Carmen. And I'm Carmen DeVito calling from afar. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we, you're listening to We Dig Plants. Um, we bring the culture to horticulture. And in doing so, we have a really fun show today and a really great guest. We're going to talk about mycophilia fungus um, and we have a great author with us Eugenia Bone welcome Eugenia thank you glad to be here she's in the studio today um, so Carm you want to take it from here yes Eugenia thank you for coming all the way to Bushwick I sent her I sent poor Eugenia on a very long trek today <laughs> <laughs> yes it was a goose chase but I'm here great so um, we wanted to do a show about mushrooms for a really really long time and you know what do you think of when you what do you think of when I say the word mushroom? Does your mush does your mind come up with the red capped white spotted mushroom that you know sort of populates the woods and meadows and, and fairy tales and children's books? German, and you be, German fairy tales and trolls and trolls. <laughs> and it may surprise some people to find out that 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 mushroom is one of the most deadly species. The it's in the Amanita species, right? It's a death cap, or or some people call it the destroying angel, right? Well, I've eaten it. Oh well, yeah. Now that's a whole. That's a great story. <laughs> for I want to hear about mushrooms that. Mushrooms conjure up dinner, and sometimes it's just shiitake mushrooms sautéed in butter and garlic, and that to me is what I think of when I think of mushrooms. So, Alice and I wanted to tackle sort of the fungi kingdom for a long time, and there was, um, as I was saying to Eugenia in a sort of pre-interview talk, there wasn't anybody that I really wanted to interview to talk about it because I didn't want. You know, I just, I didn't want a taxonomist. I didn't want, you know, just a food person. I wanted somebody who kind of encompasses a broader picture. And then when I saw her book at the Botanic Garden, I said, this is, this is the person that, that we have to interview. So Eugenia Bone is the author of this marvelous book called Mycophilia, and she's also a nationally recognized food writer, journalist, and president of the New York Mycological Society. She's written three books, including Well Preserved, which was nominated for a James Beard Award. Um, but this is not your first time at the Heritage Radio Network, right, Eugenia? Weren't you on another program a while back? Yes, I've been on the food scene talking about canning and preserving. Uh-huh. Oh, great. Well, great. I have to say, when um, when I sent out the email today, you know, telling our listeners that you were our, uh, our guest today, Jimmy Carbone, do you know Jimmy Carbone of um, 
uh, what's Jimmy's show? I can't uh, think of it right be- now. Uh, the Beer, beer Show. Yeah. What, what is it called? Beer Sessions Radio. Beer, beer Sessions, sessions Radio. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> sent, sent me back an instant email like, I love Eugenia. Yeah, I love her. Yeah. Nice. yeah, so you're well known here in the New York area. So tell us, Eugenia, how did you, how did you become a mycophiliac? <laughs> right, mycophiliac. It sounds really dirty, but it's not. It's from the Greek. Myco means uh, fungus and philia means loving. So it's fungus loving and mycophiliac would be fungus lover, which I am. Um, I guess I came out of, my father is an Italian uh, and uh, accomplished chef, and I came out of a foraging background like a lot of people with European um, parents. So we would gather mushrooms and um uh, mussels and you know dandelion greens um, whenever they were around and and uh, the season uh, was appropriate so I had something of an inclination that way but then in uh, in the late 90s my husband and I bought a little cabin in Colorado which is where he's from originally he's practices here in New York he's a, a professor at the Cooper Union and um, uh, while hanging out in the West Elk Mountains behind where our cabin is we started to find loads of porcini. And there were many other mushrooms that I didn't know that were growing in those mountains. And so I got excited and interested in, in learning more about them. And so I joined the New York Mycological Society because I'm most of the time in New York City and there's not a whole lot of hunting to be going on. Mm-hmm. But the society hunts every weekend in Central Park and you know, on all the I've parks. I think I've seen them in Prospect Park. And in Prospect Park, yeah. yeah. We have a great scientist who is in charge of our group, uh, Gary Linkoff. Yeah, I took a class with him at, oh, at yeah. NYBJ. Yeah, he's fantastic. Amazing. We call him the, the uh, Woody Allen of mycology. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's very Borscht Belt. He's great. And he's extremely knowledgeable. Yeah. So that's how I, I started to get into it because um, in order to find lots of wild mushrooms and a greater variety, I, I needed to learn something about the biology. So it was a simple matter of educating myself. And then the world opened up for me. I had no idea that the kingdom fungi was so important to nature, so complex, um, and so much a part of everybody's day-to-day life. Well, that's what made it so fascinating, and that's um, your, part of your book. You just you encompass so, I mean, you, you, of course, you talk about foraging, as you said, and you you talk about the food aspect. Um, but one of the things that I found really interesting was you do get into the biology, and, and many people assume that mushrooms are a plant. They, they grow out of the ground. They're kind of fibrous, but, but they're not. Um, in fact, for classification purposes, they have their own kingdom, Yes, and it, and it's a vast one, right? Can can you um, explain to our listeners how the mushroom that we see on our plate or in the woods relates to the rest of the organism known as a fungus? It's kind mm-hmm. of like a, a sexual reproductive organ, right? Yeah. It's like a fruit or a flower. So, just briefly, there's um, an estimated 1.5 million species of fungi. About 20,000 of those species produce fruiting bodies that you can see, and what we call mushrooms. And of that number, a certain amount are edible, some are poisonous, and some are just unknown. Many, in fact, are just unknown in terms of their edibility. So the mushroom is a vehicle by which the fungus spreads its spore. The mushroom uh, delivers the spore into the atmosphere, either using insect vectors or or wind or sometimes water, uh, even propulsion, and the spore gets out and hopefully finds a new habitat. Fungi are part of the th- of one of the three complex kingdoms in nature: animals, plants, and fungi. They're all 
cells with their their complex critters with many cells that have a nucleus in them. So those are the three higher life forms um, out there, and uh, yeah, they seem to be like plants because many grow from the ground. But that's um, really not what you're seeing is not what's really happening. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, a lot going on underground, and and what was interesting when I was reading your book is when when you did your research, uh, well, you found that. The study of fungi is usually taught in the botany department, but what I found really interesting was not so much yeah, historically. Yeah, yeah. But they are actually what I found astounding in reading the book was that they're actually more closely related to animals yes. than to plants. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, they're in terms of the evolutionary tree of life, the mm-hmm. plants uh, branched off. Um, and became photosynthesizers, producing their own food, whereas fungi and animals went in another direction, and they remained, to this day, um, gatherers of food. Uh, both animals and fungi gather their food one way or another. And there's other simil- there's similarities on a morphological level, meaning like just the stuff they're made of. Like uh, fungi have cell walls made of the same stuff as shrimp shells uh, or squids, beaks. That's something you won't see in the animal kingdom. And um, there's also genetic uh, similarities between fungi and, um, and animals. And in fact, you have more in common with a mushroom than you do with the bacteria that lives in your guts. So it's mm. a little really? confusing, but yes. Mm-hmm. That, I found that really fascinating um, aspect of, of the story, you know, because you kind of see them there. They're they seem kind of, Alien. you know, just you know, still and like, and, and also kind of magical. Yeah, you there's know like what a I mean? Secrecy. Like they appear out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, the f- fungus are microscopic organisms. I mean, sometimes you can see them when they're massing into what's called a mycelium. So, you have, in the case of the uh, of the fungi that produce mushrooms that we see and eat, that's primarily filamentous fungi. So the way they grow is one cell at a time in long strands that branch and rebranch until they create a mass. It's, it's like when you kick open a rotten log and you see that cotton, cot, the cotton candy-like stuff, uh-huh. you know, it's yeah. like thready stuff. That's a fungus. Right. That's a type of fungus. But the individual strands, while while looking, it looks pretty dense when you break open that log. You have to. See, you can only see the individual strands under a microscope. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're ten times thinner than a human hair. You know, at least. Uh huh. Um, so that's different kind of that. That sort of fungal growth is evidenced, but nonetheless built on a microscopic organism that grows one cell at a time. And then other fungi, um, like yeasts, are single-celled organisms. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, they're you know, their sum total is pretty tiny. After Hurricane Sandy, Carmen and I have our working trailer yard down in the Gowanus neighborhood of mm-hmm. Brooklyn and we got severely flooded like five feet of water aye, aye, aye. and I'd have to say within eight hours we had mushrooms growing <laughs> in our trailer like black fungus yes yeah and it was like black mold right? it was ex- right. it was fungus. the most amazing thing to watch like yeah. I mean they would triple in size within hours yeah you know yeah and we were, you know, scrubbing and trying to get rid of it. But at the same time, I couldn't help but 
I, I was just fascinated watching it grow, even though it was, yes. I knew it was probably getting into my lungs and it's probably not the healthiest thing to well, hang out and watch. You've but got your immune, you know, with yeah. every breath you take, you breathe 10 fungal spores, right, you know, right, and right. that's 300,000 spores with every, every day go through your lungs. So yeah, yeah. You've developed an immune system. I mean, yeah. you can be overwhelmed or you can be exposed to some of the nasty molds that produce mycotoxins, but they're not really... That's probably not so much what you're dealing with. They're just, you yeah. know, it's they're a sign of decay, so it's kind of depressing. That's, they're just taking down your trailer. Yeah, that, that that's, that's exactly how it yeah. felt. <laughs> you could, like, set up a chair and yeah. wait a few years, and your, your yeah. trailer would be gone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had seen, um, because the, the, the walls are made of wood, we'd seen some white mushrooms, too, like really juicy white fruiting, I guess, oh, fruiting really? vines. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, they were all, like, next to each other. It was like so a... So it wasn't just mold. No, no, oh, no. There's um, so the, wherever that wood was cut and pressed, right? It's like it's the like spores, particle board, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. Well, the spores are floating around too. Yeah. I mean, so you think they're oyster mushrooms? Are they white like an oyster mushroom? Yeah, they it, were white. Yeah. Oh, in which case you could have you we know could have had dinner. <laughs> Little I don't know if something out of it. Is anywhere near the Gowanus Canal? No, yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> it's true, you know. And actually, that's a good point when hunting mushrooms. You know, mushrooms, the fungus is an absorptive body. It, it, what it does is that it digests out. It's so small that it digests outside its body. It doesn't have a stomach. So a fungus seeps out um, as enzymes and that break down matter like wood or soil or whatever and then reabsorb the nutrients, and that's how it grows. So that absorptive quality is really fantastic, but if that, if that fungus is growing in, say, mining tailings, it's just going to deliver those metals to the, to the mushroom. So uh-huh. you have to be kind of careful when you're harvesting mushrooms that you're harvesting in a place that doesn't have you know, serious pollutants, especially metals. Now, how about, um, we have to take a break, but when we come back, I want to ask you about your Colorado cabin and some of the mushrooms that you found there. Okay. Okay, hang on. You're listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. This song is called Oh Lover by the Four Lincolns on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. You know, there's no more telling aspect, no more revealing virtue of a group of people having evolved in a lovely way than how they feed themselves, how they entertain. How they put food on the table, what they put on the table. Heritage Radio Network provides the clearest evidence that there's hope for us yet. Heritage Radio's like Fairway Market in that we both care deeply about what you're having for dinner tonight. Heritage Radio Network is not just about food, though. Every time I tune in, I learn something about things other than food, too. Architecture, design, stuff like that. But from where I stand, I still say, if you can't eat it, what's the point? For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com.
welcome back. We are talking mushrooms today on the Heritage Radio Network. We dig plants. We have um, author and guest extraordinaire, Eugenia Bone, talking about macrophilia. Uh, So we were talking before the break about your cabin in Colorado and your porcini mushrooms. What other kinds of mushrooms did you find there? Well, at first, I didn't really know that many species. I mean, I knew a few of the obvious ones you see on restaurant menus, like there's chanterelles growing, uh, Uh and in Colorado, they're very small, sort of like what we get on the east, and very different from what exists in the west. They're very small, have a very intense apricot smell. Um, And then the different bolitas, when when I say porcini, I'm kind of, I'm referring to bolitas edulis, but the Italians really lump together a few different species. Um, and then beyond that, there's some secondary species that we collect. Uh, um, we collect um, hawkswing, and we collect uh, Lactarius delicioso, the delicious milky cap, and, and a few others. Uh-huh. But to be honest, if there's like big porcini growing under the fir trees, you know, why pick anything else? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's it's really quite expensive. I mean. When I um, there's a there's a big Italian market near where I live in Brooklyn, and you know it's some big bucks to get a decent amount of dried porcini mushrooms. So if you can pick them, you know, and eat them fresh, I'm sure that's you know an even better taste. You know, that's part yeah. of the attraction for mushroom yeah. hunters. They're like um, they're like treasure hunters, or, you know, the people who pursue a sunken trip, a treasure ship off the coast of, you know, Florida for their entire lives. I mean, there's this real, they have value and they're exciting to find. The value is, of course, a kind of in the know value, but it's, um, right. it's for, it's not for no reason that wild mushroom collection is the largest legal cash business in the United States. Now, are you doing anything to cultivate this in, in a sort of farming method, or is it, does it vary from year to year? Your okay, yeah, so this is, this is a really key for people who are interested in plants, because uh, fungi have a really deep his, uh, relationship with plants. There are no terrestrial plants without fungi. Mm-hmm. The two have been symbiotic as far back as there's any... Um, you know, uh, paleontal, uh, uh, I don't know, what is it, archaeological or right, <laughs> paleontological yeah. uh, um, study. So um, there's fungi, just like animals live different ways, some in the, some are birds, you know, some in the water and so on. Um, so do fungi live different ways. And mm-hmm. the ones that are cultivated, the ones that we get in the grocery store that are cultivated, like the white button mushrooms, um, the cremini and portobello, which are all the same mushroom, by the way. Uh-huh. They're just different colors yeah, and yeah. ages. And then the oyster mushrooms and the maitake, hen of the woods these days, although you can find them wild. Hen of the woods are good. Hen <laughs> of the woods, yeah, but they're cultivated. Uh-huh. Um, and the royal trumpets, the big gigantic ones, they seem to be mostly stem. There's a bun, a shiitake. These are all cultivated mushrooms. And the reason why is because of their lifestyle. They're a type of fungi that's called saprobic. What they do is they live on dead and dying things. So they're able to, you're able to cultivate them because you just provide them with the food that they prefer and the temperature and so on. Whereas the porcini, the chanterelles, the more expensive mushrooms are only wild gathered. And Mm -hmm. that's because they live in what's called a mycorrhizal relationship. They are the result of, they're the fruiting bodies of root fungi. These are fungi that live in association with living trees. 
So mm-hmm. to grow a, a porcini, you'd have to plant an orchard mm-hmm. and maintain it and provide the ecosystem that, you know, and who knows what kind of symbionts, bacteria, viruses that have to be there in order to pull it off. Wow. So that's the dividing line. And then okay. we eat a couple of parasites, not many, like uh, coche, for example, is a parasite. Mm-hmm. But the main thing is cultivated mushrooms tend to be decayers. Mm-hmm. They eat dead and dying things. And the wild mushrooms are symbionts. They live with, they, they grow on the roots of living trees. And okay. whenever we use fertilizer, uh, yeah. as Alice knows, that has, you know, there all these fertilizers now are, uh, especially tree fertilizers, say, mycorrhiza, include yeah. mycorrhiza, yeah. Yeah. you yeah. know. The reason why um, is because 90% of all plants, trees included, um, 90% of, of all plants have mycorrhizal fungi, that's root fungus, that live on and in its roots and help supply the tree with nutrients in exchange for sugar. So they have a symbiotic relationship. In the case of conifers, which is a very ancient type of plant, conifers won't survive without their mycorrhizal mm-hmm. fungi. Mm-hmm. They're so dependent upon each other. And what's interesting is this is a very new discovery, relatively speaking. It's only, you know, right in the past um, 50 or 75 years that people really began oh, to probably. understand. Yeah, yeah. But that's because you can see it now with, you know, with... Uh, the the microscopes are are much more sophisticated and it, and it can be seen um, and is and then there's another kind of fungus called endophytic fungi they live between the cells of all green plants every plant that's green has my has endophytic fungi living between its cells well nobody even knew about them until you could um, find ways to grow, you know, until you could see them with a microscope or use DNA sampling and say, well, whoa, there's a whole other set of DNA in this, in this yeah. plant. What's going on? I keep thinking of Leonardo and his, you know, drawing of the dead bodies. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's what we're talking about. Well, it's, yeah, you know, the whole, I, I, our, our uh, scientists' appreciation of the kingdom fungi has grown enormously as a result of being able to see things that are smaller than the naked eye can yeah, see. Yeah, right. Well, do they know what, what uh, those endophytes do? What are they doing between the cells of the plants? Do they have a clue about what, what they're doing there? Well, it's a huge area of research right now, um, but because it turns out that many plants have multiple endophytes living in them, and that some of these en- uh, endophytes are so promiscuous, they can sort of, the same endophytes can live on different plants. Others are more particular. Um, so, so far, the science is, is, is telling us the following, that endophytes, that some endophytes pr- uh, produce a kind of chemical arsenal to ward off competitors for that plant. So, let's take the case of fescue grass, for example. If your pony or your sheep eat the fescue grass, it gets terribly sick and gets a kind of gangrenous disease. It's terrible. Well, it's not the fescue grass that's making them sick. It's the fungus living in the fescue grass which is trying to ward off that grazer, which is a predator. So all these different endophytes might be in there in this, doing this defensive job. It's a type of mutualism, but what the, what the endophyte is doing is defense, not supplying nutrients like a nice, sweet mycorrhizal <laughs> yeah. fung- just fun- fungus. But it, this is a fighter fungus that is functioning in a way like a, like a virtual immune system for plants. You take away those endophytes, and you get a plant that's not prepared to deal with um, with the pests. Um, for mm-hmm. example, if you sterilize uh, plants to get rid of other pests, you'll kill the endophytes. It's like right. It's like you take away their immune system. Well, isn't that what Monsanto's doing? 
When you have a GMO, uh-huh. uh, a GMO is one way to solve the problems of, uh, you know, a, a crop failure due to stress from drought or due to pests, right? Mm-hmm. Well, endophytes are being studied with federal funding and through the Forest Department and the USDA to um, support research that is suggesting, more than suggesting, pretty much proving that endophytes uh, can be applied to crops, um, virtually sprinkled on crops to provide this immune uh, response for the plants. But there's another thing it do, uh, that some endophytes do. The second sort of discovery that's out there, and I'm sure there are more, I'm just not hip, hip to them, is that plants are like us. When you're stressed out, mm-hmm. you produce chemicals that are bad for your cells. Mm-hmm. Right? So... When a plant gets stressed out because of drought or climate change or, uh, you know, in something like that, the plant produces chemicals that are bad for its cells. What the endophyte does, one of some of the species of endophytes in the plants, what they do is they suppress the, the plant's production of that destructive chemical. It's like Prozac for plants. Wow, that's astounding. It's astounding, yeah. Yeah, so that's a pretty, plant, that's, and it doesn't have to modify the organism. No, 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 it's, it is a symbiotic partner with the organism. It gets something from the organism, it gets sugar, and it probably gets nutrients via the mycorrhizae that are on the roots. Mm-hmm. So it's like a three-way. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> With the plant in the middle. <laughs> I, I am uh, looking at fun, fungi in a whole different light now. But, you know, one of, the, one of the chapters in your book that was also really interesting was about, um, you know, of course there are fungi that are very beneficial to plants, but there are some powerful ones that cause, uh, I think fun, fungi are responsible for about 85% of plant diseases, right? And also yeah. some of the wor- worst plagues and yeah. And famine in history. One of the yeah. things, um, the famous example yeah. is ergo, right? The mm-hmm. rust that infected um, the wheat and the rye crop in Europe. Isn't that right? That was well, a fungus. Rust, yes. Uh, ergot is a fungus. If you go to Prospect Park, you'll see it growing on the grass. I mean, it's widespread, and it's a fungus that produces this, um, what's called a little sclerota. It's like a fruiting body, but it, right. it almost looks like a little mini cattail. Um, and it grows on the side of the grass, you know, like, let's say, rye. It's particularly it's problematic with seed grasses, like, you know, rye and wheat, things that you'd make into bread. Um, and so we get poisoned from it, and animals get poisoned from it when they eat infected grains. Um, there's international um, uh, uh, um, uh, guide, guidelines uh, that protect the transport, you know, that protect the grain supply. Uh, from ergot, uh, ergot uh, infection, but so you don't have to worry about your flour. <laughs> it's, it's probably okay, but there have been cases where it was not. Certainly in the ancient, in medieval times, and further back in the ancient world, um, but more um, uh, more recently in the fifties, there was a um, an outbreak of ergot in a town in Provence. And when you ergot, when you eat it, it it um, you metabolize it into uh, lysergic acid. So when you eat ergot, it's like having a really bad trip, like a really, really, really bad trip on LSD. So I can only imagine in the Middle Ages, people, I bet there were a lot of people killed um, <laughs> for heresy instead of like flying witches. And, yeah. you know, some people even thought, uh, isn't it true that, that, that ergot might have been responsible for some of the things that happened in Salem? And that ultimately, yes. you know, ended up in witch trials because these people had eaten this bad bread. Right. 
Right, and it was thought that they were suffering from convulsive ergotism, which is the one that's more like tripping, whereas there's another kind that's called gangrenous ergotism, which is um, really the same fungus. It's called Claviceps purpurea, but it's a different strain. So it, depending on you know your luck, you might get the convulsive type or you might get the gangrenous type, which causes restrictions of the blood vessels, oh, and then yes. gangrene sets in. So you, Holy cow. So that's called St. Anthony's Fire, and it's... Oh, uh, right. You know, you read about it in yeah, yeah. You know, scary books in school and stuff. But t- okay, so People's t- limbs falling off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah it's just horrid, like horrid. Well, tell us the story of the opium poppy crop um, and the Taliban, right? You know, I'm trying to remember that story. You can, you know, you guys might remember it better than me, but there, you know, certain um, mycotoxins have been weaponized. Certainly, they've been used as fungicide, uh, as um, not fungicides, but as uh, a type of pesticide using fungi. And there's plenty of common contemporary examples of that. But it's been used to uh, suppress poppy um, uh, poppy crops in Afghanistan in the past, but um, by our government. However, um, it's a problematic because uh, you don't want the fungus to attack a crop that you, you know, are trying to substitute crop. it with, you yeah. know, uh, like, you know, whatever, flax or something. Right. So um, there's been using mycotoxins in fungi for both, um, you know, deforestation projects and for um, even to be weaponized. Um, uh, All of that has existed, but it's really, um, the practice is so risky. I mean, first of all, nobody is very enthusiastic about chemical warfare. That has its whole set of issues. But then in terms of using it to control crops, you know, it's a living thing, and so you don't want to set loose a microorganism, right? Even if you think it's going to do good, because right. it ends up. Well, yeah, the manipulation of it is. Well, it's like the, the guy um, who, knows? who right. decided to release um, all of Shakespeare, all the species of birds mentioned in Shakespeare's um, plays into Central Park, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, our understanding mm-hmm. of what connotates of an ecos- what constitutes an ecosystem, is is woefully poor yeah i mean most people don't even realize their own bodies are these complex ecosystems yeah if those that ecosystem is somehow put out of um out of balance just like in an ecosystem in a forest uh then it the body gets ill and so these are 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 very exciting new uh, uh pursuits right now in biology and medicine well, your book is fantastic. I'm sorry that we are out of time. It always goes by so fast, but I'm getting the wave from the engineering booth. Um, but the book, again, the name, Eugenia... is Saint- Mycophilia, uh-huh. Revelations from the Weird World of Mushrooms. It comes out in paperback this month. Okay. Well, it's fantastic. And it sounds like from just your being our guest, it, it, that it's it's an easy-to-read book. It doesn't seem too steeped in... No, and it's popular science. Yeah. So it's for people that aren't scientists. Exactly. They have their own books. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. Carmen, thank you for finding this book and for organizing this topic. It was really fun. I'm glad that Eugenia could come in and um, maybe, you know, on, on your next book, um, if you do something on plants or something related, we'll have you back again. Thank you. I'd love to come back. Well, we could talk about this topic forever. So, um 
It's a good one. Anyway, thank you for listening. You've been listening to We Dig Plants on Heritage Radio Network. Thank you for sharing your love of the kingdom of fungi. And thank you to Jack Inslee for producing and Joe G for engineering. Thanks to Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And to our sponsor, if you missed any part of the show, please note that it's available via archive on the website, heritageradionetwork.com, and via podcast at iTunes for free. Please leave comments on our Facebook fan page. Thanks for listening and happy gardening. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.